Well, I usually try to put it off as long as possible because, you know, once once you start cutting and cutting and then it becomes your life for three or four months. Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano here on another episode of our LTPs Off-Road. And no, I haven't forgotten about the ticking clock, and you'll be hearing more about that at the end of the podcast, about what's coming up this summer, I hope, if I can get it all done. But in the meantime, another great episode of Off-Road for you this time. A very dear friend of mine, a very dear friend of everybody in the Buffalo Theater community, Dave Marciniak, is here to tell us his story. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I thought you don't interview a lot of actors because it's... You know, actors around here, there's there's a lot of them. And once you start interviewing one, it's then, well, well why don't you interview so-and-so? And why don't you interview so-and-so? And I have a lot of friends who are actors. For a brief time, they might still be friends. I don't know. But Dave is a different story. When I first met him and I heard his story and about the nine kids and the grandkids and how he just, you know, sort of came out of the bushes one day over at Desiderio's and now he's one of the most in-demand actors in Buffalo. And not only that, but all of his charitable work, and it's it, there's a lot to Dave Marciniak. So he's going to tell us his story. But first of all, you know what I thought we would do? You know what I thought we would do is do another surprise guest. Maybe the last one. I might have one or two more. But Adriano Gatto is a fight choreographer, a fight director. He's a terrific actor. He's a teacher over there at NU. You might have seen him as David Frost in Frost Nixon over at the Irish Classical Theater Company. And he's gonna to talk to you a little bit about what it takes to plan and direct a fight in any play or musical. And when I say fight, we're talking about things as simple as a slap or, you know, a, a throwing water in somebody's face. There's a lot to it. So let's start with Adriano Gatto talking about fight choreography here on our LTP's Off-Road. Do you look at the script first before you agree to do a gig? Or do oh, absolutely. You, you yeah. read the script and, and then you say, I'm out, or you say... <laughs> Or you say, I've read the script and I this I need this many days to make this safe. How does it yeah. work with you? Yeah, so with regard to the fight director process, at least for me, usually the, the call comes in and, and I'll be informed of the project. If I know the play, I'll understand the circumstances that are involved or what we need to build. Uh, if it's a new project, then I absolutely want to read the script. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the, a conversation with the director about what is your intended goal or vision with these moments of the story. There's sort of three guiding principles that I was taught. You know, first and foremost, we want to look at safety. Is what we're doing sustainable on an actor's body and also in the process? Night after night after night after yeah. night. Yeah. Because even if you're looking at like a LORT schedule where you're performing eight times a week, mm -hmm. you're going to do this in a fight call at least once, maybe twice. So you're looking at doing this at least 16 times maybe more. And what we build has got to be sustainable on the body, but also within the actor's boundaries and abilities, mm -hmm. you know? So that's a, a really important question to have as well when we get into the room or before we get into the room with the actors. And I think people need to understand too, that when you get a script, it doesn't say, it doesn't always say they fight. 
Right. Uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't say that. Or yeah. it doesn't say the fight goes on for five minutes. It, none of that. It, sometimes it's just simple as he strikes her. Yep. You know, and, yep. and no, what, do you, what do you do with that? And who makes the decision about how severe that action is or how fierce mm-hmm. it is? So once we talk to the director about the intended goal of what the moment's going to look or moments are going to be and, and what purpose they serve the story, then it gives me a better framework of ideas to come in and, and play. If I had my druthers, I would love to have at least one or two rehearsals with the cast or with the actors that I'm going to be working with just to sort of get us on the same vocabulary about technique. You know, mm-hmm. all right, let's talk about slaps or let's talk about falls or let's talk about punches. Or if we're doing sword, we absolutely want that time because not everybody's had the same experience working with theatrical weapons or working in stage combat. So having that that rehearsal or two just to train and get on the same page is vital because it also informs me some of the boundaries that some of these actors have. We're going to have that conversation, mm-hmm. but knowing and, and assessing what abilities we have to work with. You want to ask what their capabilities yeah. are before you go design something. Exactly. <laughs> and here's where you climb a rope to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. And you go, I'm terrified of heights over four feet. It's not happening. <laughs> no way. And also too, I should note that when we're talking with the directors, we also want to talk with the design team because the set is a vital component. The costume wardrobe folks are absolutely necessary. You know, if, especially if it's a period play or a period mm. piece, what are these characters fighting in? Are they in heels? Are mm. they in dresses? Are there cloaks? Are there restrictive garments that are difficult to move in or restrict yeah. movement a certain mm. way? So that's a big factor as well. And then props is a huge, huge conversation, especially if there's weapons or if there's blood. Uh, so having the opportunity in pre-production to navigate a lot of those questions, we can begin to at least troubleshoot or prepare to problem solve once we get into the room. Then once we get into first rehearsals with the actors, for me, I I like the first rehearsals to be more of a training ground. I will present a couple different options as, as to what we could do that will achieve the same story, Mm -hmm. you know, but there are multiple ways we could do it. And are they, are they by degrees? So we could do this, this is a little advanced, or we could do this, not quite as demanding, but they both do the, ultimately accomplish the same thing. Yep. And, and, and truthfully, a large part of that is articulating how to execute the move, mm-hmm. right? I can say, we're going to do a slap here, but contact, we have non-contact slaps. Who's generating the nap? What's the distance that we have between us? Uh, is there an angle on the slap? What position of the hand are we in? Are we in open hand? Is it palm or is it backhand? Is mm-hmm. it descending? Is it ascending? Wow. Are we on different levels? So I much. Mean, there's so much involved, at least in my brain, so when somebody says to me, this is slap here, I go, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, and then I go into my- Here are the questions. 400 variables. Totally, totally. <laughs> and the nap, for those who don't know, is when somebody makes a sound on stage, unbeknownst to the audience, that sounds like a slap, and it just sort of, it's like creating yeah. a sound effect on stage. The sound of the action, the, 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 the fully slap, of the action. The slap misses by a mile, but you hear a- Yeah, totally. Then I, I, I probably won't come back for maybe another week or so as the director and the cast are blocking the play. And, you know, I I mean, I'll be in to watch and observe that, but it's great to see how the cast and the directors have shaped the moment leading up up to the violent moment and then Mm -hmm. where it needs to go after that. And so for me, you know, as you've seen, I like to build collaboratively and say, okay, we need a moment and this is the intent of the moment. And we could do this, 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 or this. 
what do you feel the character would do at this moment? Right. You know, and you might say, I want to swing a right hook at him. Okay. Here's how we can do that now. And then we'll go into building that moment. You have a say in what's being crafted. You have control in, in what we're yes. doing as opposed to me telling you what to do. For something that's really elaborate, not a slap or not a fall down or whatever, but, but, but let's say you've got a three-minute sword fight, mm -hmm. okay? Do you plot that out move by move on a piece of paper uh, and with, with alternatives? If this doesn't work, then this. But do you plan it out this step, step by step by step by step to fill out that whole three to four or five minutes or whatever it's going to be? Or do you build it when you're there based on a bunch of moves that you would like to use if they will fit with the actor and with the moment? Very early on in my career where I was building a sword fight for uh, Hamlet, Mm -hmm. And I wrote it down move for move in my head. And I was, you know, sword fighting myself in the mirror going, oh, yeah, that's totally going to work. That's definitely going to work. Oh, this will be great. And then going into rehearsal and learning. Now, again, this I was brought in mid process mm -hmm. uh, that Laertes was left handed. <laughs> and I had built the whole fight as two right handed. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. You know, and so that was a very big lesson for me. And and in truth, what I've come to learn from a lot of colleagues and teachers that I've had is that that's a very common first lesson yeah. that that might happen. <laughs> so for me, I, I have in my mind a lot of ideas and I will absolutely take notes or, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that working here at NU, I have a classroom and a stock and I can go in and I can play with some ideas, you know, between mm -hmm. my classes. But usually the inspiration for crafting a longer sword fight is going to come in the training we'll do with the actors early in the process because we're building the fight with moves and techniques they already know. And then there might be a couple other different moves or sequences that might be different. But if I can take the time to instruct them early on fundamentals and basics, well, then we can play from there. You know, I can make the same sequence look dynamic if I change the angles or if I just switch sides. Mm -hmm. You know, I will know the difference, but to the untrained eye, it, it may not be seen that way. And you sitting back and watching as you direct them into trying this, things occur to you and you pull something else out of the toolbox. Yeah. You know what else what might what might work here is this. Yeah. Let's let's look at it. Let's start here. Let's look at it and and then yeah. build on it. Is that fair to Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's definitely high points that I see in my mind, meaning, you know, if in this sword fight, if I know that there needs to be visible power shifts in the story, mm -hmm. meaning that, you know, uh, like in Hamlet, where he, all of a sudden he switches yeah. swords, yep. that's got to happen. Yeah, yep. it's got to happen. Or where we're seeing a character on the ground, or we're seeing the fight devolve mm -hmm. from a really meticulous sword fight into now it's no holds bar. Chaos, you know, yep. also... Uh, for me, I'm more interested in seeing how are the characters making choices to stay in the fight? How are the characters dealing with their opponent? You know, I would rather have a fight that feels more full of a story than one that is flashy. Mm -hmm. And watching a character make choices through that hmm. scene, because that's after all what they're doing is they're acting through a scene yeah, yeah. Um, and dealing with the circumstances as they're changing. You know, one of the things... I think is really important and really informative when building these fights is somewhere in this fight, the character will fit into this matrix of knowledge, need, and want. Meaning 
what is the character's knowledge or experience with martial technique? Is this mm -hmm. a trained fighter? Is this someone who is maybe trained? In what systems are they trained? So there's knowledge. Then there's need. Does the character need to fight or do they not need to fight? And then does the character want to fight? Mm. Do they not want to fight? You know, having a character that wants to fight, that needs to fight and knows how to fight is pretty dangerous. Yeah. You know, yeah, versus a character who needs to fight, who doesn't, doesn't want, want to fight <laughs> yeah. and doesn't know how to fight. You know, I'm thinking like Danny K court jester, mm -hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> and so, so finding that matrix is really important because you go, ah, this is more informative now of the character, you know, and much and, more interesting because yeah. there's so much depth to it. You know, the director is sculpting the show and our job is to keep bringing the clay and to pilot and to move it and help craft it and build it. And his job is to, chip it away and, and piece it and shape it as it needs to. Listen, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much right, for, for Thank you. time with That's me. It's so good it. to see you and so good to talk we to will, you. We will do this. Uh, you've yeah. given me an idea that we need to do this more. So Let's I'll get that. back to you. And, uh, okay. and again, my love to the whole, that whole freaking gorgeous family. <laughs> Thank you, man. My love to you. Love you all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Take, Take care. care. Bye. So Adriano is the kind of guy who uh, I really need to talk to more in more depth. Maybe in the future, I'll be doing a whole Adriano Gatto uh, interview, but mostly it's about that fight choreography that I just think is so fascinating. I'll tell you the truth. There was a lot more to that interview, but I, I it was all I could do to cut it down to 10 minutes because it was just so interesting and there's so much to say about it. And I, maybe I'm the only one who cares about these things, but I do. I'm very interested in this kind of stuff, this kind of behind-the-scenes stuff in theater, and that's certainly behind the scenes. So, all right, well, we've put this off as long as we possibly can, so let's get to Dave Marciniak now, who is nice enough to join me via Zoom while he was there working, fighting against COVID, as he has been since the beginning. He'll tell you more about it. Here's David. So listen, I, I do think that you're a fascinating case. <laughs> And I tried to figure out where you came from. Let's start at the very beginning. Are you a local guy originally? I was uh, born in uh, in the city of Buffalo. We lived, uh, as I was a child, we lived in the city of Buffalo. My parents moved to the village, the bustling village of Depew <laughs> back in uh, early 70s. That's where I grew up. Graduated from Depew High School under the musical direction of uh, the lovely Diane Pappas Sullivan. She was uh, the choir director and the musical director for the, the musicals of which, you know, I participated in. I was a member of the choir as well. And she was the one who kind of inspired me to uh, to perform and was a mentor to me throughout my high school career. And, and I'm very pleased to say I uh, still consider her a friend and we still communicate with each other. Well, that's, that's lovely. She inspired so many of us, certainly not myself alone, uh, but so many of us to do things that we would never have considered doing on our own. That's just wonderful. There hadn't been any theatrical productions in years, and she came in like a whirlwind and said, we're doing Oklahoma, and uh, <laughs> produced the first musical. And uh, the, the drama director for that was an English teacher by the name of Liebert Puma, who... Uh, ends up that, you know, as years go by, he also is a friend. And I'm going to tell you with, with great confidence 
that I don't think I've done a play in the city of Buffalo that those two haven't come to see. That's wonderful. It's been a, a great joy for me to even get their approval now at the age of, you know, to... Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure it's a great joy for them. It's, it, I mean, thinking of myself as a teacher, whenever, you know, I've had, I now have students who have gone on to become English teachers as I was. <laughs> as a matter of fact, one of my earliest students just retired from being an English teacher. Wow. That's how freaking old I am, David. <laughs> but it's very, it's very gratifying. You know, I'm sure they find it very gratifying whenever they watch you perform that they had a small part in this. Yeah, it's it's really been an inspiration to have them there every single time, and it's 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 a joy to me. Did you have siblings, and was there art or or performance in either your your parents or your other siblings? Listen, I love my mother and father, but there is not an artistic bone in their body. Now, <laughs> let me tell you, um, I love them both. They worked very hard. So of they- course. Uh, get what we needed as children, and uh, they provided us with a very good life. My father did play the guitar. I think he was able to play Michael Rowe, the boat ashore, but I'm not sure if there was anything else. <laughs> but we we constantly did have music in the house. Uh, there was always music in the house. My mother was a great lover of music, almost ad nauseum, uh, certainly when ABBA came out and oh, dear. Saturday Night Fever, and then uh, I shudder to say these words, but Barry Manilow. And Every Saturday as we cleaned the house from top to bottom, those albums would be blasting. <laughs> and, and it was funny because, uh, you know, as I said uh, earlier, we, my sophomore year, we did uh, the musical Oklahoma. My junior year, uh, she directed uh, the Guys and Dolls. And uh, my senior year, we did uh, South Pacific. And well, did, you have, did you have roles in all of these or, or were they chorus roles? I played uh, in uh, Oklahoma. I was Will Parker in Guys and Dolls. I was Nathan Detroit. In well, for Pete's sake. South Pacific, I was Emile DeBeck. Well, holy cow. You're, you know, you're, you're making it sound like maybe you were just, you know, one of these, you know, people in the chorus who just needed a place to go. Those were always my favorite kids, by the way. The, the, those kids and the tech kids, because they were just having fun and, you know. Yes. But you weren't, you actually had leading roles, the lead role in South Pacific, the right. lead role in Guys and Dolls, and one of the lead roles. And well, I'm I'm really sick of talking to you already. <laughs> Listen, don't be too excited. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about DePew High School here and maybe <laughs> Maybe 20 guys tried out for the musical. So I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of competition. I, I was uh, in, a, in a small pond. Sure. And I, I went to UB, and, and I did have a, an instructor named Saul Elkin, who uh, I took a couple of his classes and skipped a lot of his classes as well. But <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it was at this point um, when I had seen the level of talent uh, around me, uh, because really my focus had been musical theater. At the Pew, we didn't have drama, mm-hmm. um, which is now my love. But we, um, I realized that, you know, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not going to make a living doing this uh, musical theater. I can't dance at all. And my singing is, it packs a punch in the Pew, not sure anywhere else. <laughs> so at that time, and I, I mentioned that I had been in the church choir, I actually began to entertain and did enter the seminary to uh, study for the Catholic priesthood. Interesting. This is while you're at UB or, or in your growing up in your early life? Because I'll tell you, 
Italian mothers, my mother always thought I was going to be a priest. Right, right. Well, you know, because you're you're t- you're you're that ticket to heaven for 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 the folks. But you That's know, right. it, it's I started thinking about it as as a as a freshman in high school, and and uh, you know, and back in the day, and there still is to some extent. There was a pretty big recruitment thing going on. They were mm-hmm. trying to convince you to consider it, and I did right. consider it. And uh, but I was at UB, and but there was at the time. The Diocese of Buffalo had a, a residence for kids that were not going to seminary, who were just at one of the colleges in town. But you could live there in community with a couple of priests and, and other students as well. And I did live there. It was called the John Paul II residence. But it, it, here's the dichotomy here. I was I was going to school at a secular university, University of Buffalo. I was living in religious community called the John Paul II residence over on the east side of Buffalo. And I was working in a bar all night long, <laughs> slamming the Alabama slammers. And um, it was an unusual circumstance. I finally made the decision at one point that I was going to actually go to seminary. And at that time, the seminary that uh, the Diocese of Buffalo sent, the undergraduate seminary, was in a place called Ogdensburg, New York, way on the north side of the, of the state. Yeah. And... I left and went there with with confidence that, uh, you know, I was the next Fulton Sheen, and uh, <laughs> it didn't happen. And, and I became uh, homesick immediately for my best friend, who I missed terribly, and her name was Michelle Burney, and she was a mm-hmm. lovely lady um, who I had known for, for years and years through high school, and we uh, were inseparable. Uh, even after high school for a few years. And uh, we found that when we, when I went away to school, that uh, we were truly inseparable. I, I got a card in the mail one day and it said, uh, it was from her and it said some drunken thoughts as I sit here at the bar. <laughs> and it said, uh, one of the number three was how do you tell your best friend who's studying to be a priest that you are in love with him? Wow. And, uh, I wish I had it. Oh, I do have a tissue because that's a lovely story. And you and you said to yourself right then and there, I think I'm going to have to be out of here. I'll be honest with you. In, in my heart of hearts, I knew that, that 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 was my future, but it was a big decision. Uh, it certainly was. And I, uh, I kind of went into seclusion for a couple of weeks. And, and uh, in this particular seminary, in, in every dorm, there was a priest who would be uh, kind of stationed there to kind of keep an eye on the boys because we had kind of like a rolling uh, cart of alcohol that we would just roll between rooms so nobody could find them. But anyway, this father father Ed Sheedy was his name. And and one day he knocked on the door and he said, David, are you coming out? And I said, not yet. And he said, David, you need to shower. The entire dorm smells like you. (laughs) And I realized that, uh, you know, I'd been taking my meals in the room. I had not really been doing much of anything. And uh, so I got up, I took a shower, and uh, a friend of mine from New Jersey, who was also a seminarian there, said, what are you going to do? And I said, you're going to drive me to Buffalo right now. I want to go see her. Yeah. And he did. And uh, I told her I was leaving the seminary, and that was it. Wow. And so you just, you know, you never really felt... You had, as they say, the calling, the vocation. I, I really felt that there was actually uh, 
some call to to service in that regard. But as you're aware, and everyone is aware, you know that is not an option. But certainly, there there are branches of the Catholic Church where there are married priests, but I do not belong to them. I'm not, uh, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. So you know, I had to make a decision. It was a, it was a this or that, and in my love for this Michelle Bernie was was just overwhelming to me. All right, so you've left UB, you've gone into the seminary, you've gone back to be with Michelle. When we got married, uh, Michelle and I got married, we had decided that we wanted a large family, and uh, we had figured on maybe four or five children, which even, that's a big family. We were expecting our third child, my son Tyler, who is a fabulous bass player in Johnny and the Man Kids. But anyway, he uh, (laughs) he was about to be born, and and so we needed a little bit of extra money. So I took a part-time job. I was working 3 to 11 for the printing company. I took a part-time job as a nursing assistant at the Schofield residence in in Elmwood Avenue. Yeah, I know where it is. And uh, I I took the uh, class, and I got certified as a nursing assistant, and I started working in this nursing home. And I'm going to say with all sincerity that I absolutely despise that job. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get out of it. Um, and, and I'm going to say this to uh, anyone out there who has relatives or family, or if you, li- if you do work in a, a skilled nursing facility, I honor you because I know how hard you work. It is, it is really hard work. And, uh, I, I lasted about six months doing that, and I said, this is for the birds. And as I was driving home, I got a, a, a phone call from a, a, a gentleman who was a manager at Sisters Hospital, and he asked if I was available to work as a nursing assistant, and I said, uh, yeah, part-time, I could. And he actually hired me on the phone so, uh, and, and didn't even require an interview. So I started within about a week or so, and I was working on a, uh, a unit that specialized in uh, plastic surgery. So at the time, the Sisters was a big center for plastic surgery. Hmm. And I didn't know that. Um, and I remember the first time I had to go and help a lady who was discharged get in a wheelchair and take her down to the car. And I walked into the room. And of course, she had had uh, facial surgery. So there was just bruising and, and you know, mm-hmm. sutures and dried blood and bandages and so on. And I didn't know what had happened there. I was new to all this. And I I remember saying to this poor woman who was trying so desperately to improve her appearance, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Were you hit by a car or something? (laughs) What happened to your face? Good, nice bedside manner, Dave. Yeah, that was that was a disaster. But, but you, David, you had did you have any training at all from when you when you went to Schofield? I guess there's some training involved there. But then you get a call from this guy at Sisters, based on your work at Schofield. I had a friend who was the uh, the charge nurse of the nursery at Sisters mm-hmm. at the time, and she was a dear friend. And she, I guess, she had given him my number. Okay, you know that's kind of where it came from. I really had very little experience, but you know when you, when you were you know I was a seminarian, I was a people person. I wanted to work with people, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, maybe this was a good uh, avenue to pursue. And I, I worked there for a few weeks, and I realized that I think I may have found a home. And I simply fell in love with the work, uh, and uh, I transferred to the oncology floor, which was a absolute joy for me. I mean, I got to experience uh, the the entire gamut of life. It was a privilege to be a part of that. And uh, one day I was working and the nurse manager, a lovely lady named Terry Gretaderia, called me into her office and said, 
have you ever considered going to nursing school? And I said, well, I, I really haven't, but you know, I would think about it. And she said, well, I've arranged an interview with the dean of Sisters School of Nursing. Would you like to go to that interview? And I said, sure, when is it? She said, right now, get over there. <laughs> so I ran across the lawn in the back and uh, the, into the building where the school was, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, I interviewed and she asked, you know, could, do you think you could do this? And I said, I, I think I could. I really do enjoy working at Sisters. And she said, well, would you like to come to this school? And I said, well, I think I would, but I need to check with my wife. I said, when does school start? She said, next week. And I said, well, wow, I better call my wife. Can I call her now? And I, I called her from the, the dean's office. And I said, Michelle, what do you think about me going to nursing school? And, you know, as she has said to me so many times over the years, she said, whatever you'd like, Dave, go ahead. <laughs> wow. She is a gem, I'll tell you that. She really is. And, and so I started my journey at Sisters Hospital School of Nursing. I quit the printing job. I worked full-time for the hospital, and I went to school full-time. And Michelle, she carried the load for all of us and uh, did a beautiful job of it. So and she I, said, go ahead, go to the nursing school, and, yeah. and the rest is history? Yeah, so I worked at Sisters for over 20 years. and. Uh, Wow. I, I started out as a nursing assistant there. And by the time I left, which was back in 2012, I was the nurse manager of the emergency department and had been really concentrated on critical care, ICU and emergency care most of my career. Very, very quickly. Can we talk about how you got to the current, your current position? Yeah, so um, I left Sisters, uh, well, I, while I was at Sisters, uh, they were generous not only to pay for my original education, mm -hmm. but they encouraged me to go back to school, to Damon College, and that's uh, what I did, and, you know, and I uh, advanced my degree at Damon College and worked for Sisters for a few more years after that, and then uh, I transferred out of Sisters in 2012, went to the Department of Health for the County of Erie, and... Uh, I was the director of correctional health services, so I was responsible for the health care of uh, incarcerated individuals at the holding center and at the correctional facility in right. Alden. Mm -hmm. And you can only imagine what a what a challenge that was. I'm sure, sure. It was a job that I did not treasure. Uh, that was a job that I I don't think I had the political skills uh, to to handle that kind of a government position. Uh, but I learned a lot, and I was I was certainly happy that I was a part of that. Shortly thereafter, uh, I uh, that was uh, unfortunately a, a, a very difficult time for the Marciniaks because that was also the time that Michelle suffered a, a, a terrible hemorrhagic stroke. Right. Uh, so my role as, as husband and father uh, transformed again yeah. to include caregiver, and we, we got through that. And then I went back to work, but I had to go part-time because I had to drive the kids to school and you know pick them up at their activities and so sure. on. After her stroke, she was able to drive, and then I was able to go back to work full time. So, so here I am now in my fifties, uh, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm not the spring chicken I used to be, and I certainly <laughs> don't want to go back to an emergency room. So I was looking for something that I could spend the last, you know, 15, 14, 15 years of my career, kind of in one that's not going to beat the hell out of my body. And uh, the first one to bite was was Best Health Behavioral Health. They were looking for an assistant director of nursing. I had the the, the background that they were looking for, and, and, and they hired me, and I've been here full-time ever since. Yes, I remember from your fancy-schmancy spread in Buffalo Spree magazine. Uh, you know, I never got a spread. A lot of people I know never got a spread, but Dave yeah, well, Marcinius... 
it's it's a you know Casey Pratt called me and said he was going to come and take a picture of me and um, for this for this article and I said well Casey I said do you remember um, you took my picture for Catholic Health back in 2006 uh, at, at your studio and he was gracious enough Peter to say that he remembered and I was gracious enough to thank him for remembering me which I'm sure he didn't because you know I mean Casey Pratt is is an artist and he photographs everyone on earth and things that are gorgeous and here he was in my office well, uh, so are you like now you're like the poster boy for health services in Buffalo what's the deal well, no, it was uh, it was just a nice little thing that uh, our friend, your friend and mine, Jordana Halpern, uh, who is uh, oh, the uh, the former managing director for Jewish Repertory Theater. Lovely, lovely lady. Absolutely, and she called me. I'm going to say back in December, and mm-hmm. she said we're we're going to do a little little article sometime in the coming months about folks that are doing some good things in the city. And and I thought of you and would you be interested? And I said, well, you clearly don't know anything about me. We better make sure. (laughs) But she insisted. And uh, we did the little interview and and then Casey Pratt came to my office and took about 6 billion pictures. I don't know how many he took. And the one he picked, if that was the best out of the 6 billion, I I shudder to think what I look uh, like in real life. But Uh, you, you look just fine. You're happy in this position. Yes. Oh yeah, very very much so. It's I, you know, listen. It's I, one of my requirements when I took this job, and and it's an important one for me. In in many cases, when a nurse becomes an administrator or a manager, um, they lose the bedside. Uh, they're no longer taking care of patients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of that is because of unions. You know, they don't want managers doing you know the sure. rank and file work. But, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, first, certainly in a a hospital, you know, when a physician is in administrative role, they're also taking care of patients. I wanted that as well. I don't ever want to lose that bedside uh, opportunity that I love so much. Mm -hmm. And so when I took this job, I asked if it could be part-time administration and part-time clinical care. And and they certainly uh, did agree to accommodate my desire. and, And I'm very grateful for that. We haven't even touched upon, well, your revived theater career. From high school, all of a sudden, you're revived in the professional theater world, and now you're one of the most sought-after actors in Buffalo, everything from where I think you started again at Desiderio's Dinner Theater, right straight right. through Shakespeare in Delaware Park and and, and the Antipodes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, that show, I was so entertained by that show. Still have no idea what it was about. But uh, it's, yeah, I was in it, and I don't know either. So, <laughs> but it was very entertaining. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I guess we have to talk a little bit about how you were you were doing some volunteer work for St. Luke's, and Jay has them attend his dinner theater from time to time, and that's how you sort of connected with Jay. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I were longtime volunteers over twenty years now for St. Luke's Mission of Mercy, which is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a relief agency over on the east side. Many people are familiar with it. Do a lot of good work out there with homeless folks, and uh, and we have been a part of that for many years. I I worked as the the, the mission nurse for many years uh, as a volunteer, uh, doing all kinds of activities there, uh, health activities, and so on. And uh, one of the activities I did participate that was really not health oriented, but. Jay Desiderio and his and his brother Bobby so generously every time there was a, one of their productions opened would invite us that first weekend to come out and bring gentlemen from the shelter 
and he would put on a, a nice rigatoni meal for the guys and give them an opportunity to to watch the show. And I would go as a chaperone. We, we needed chaperones. Um, some of our, our residents in the shelter were, schiz- they had uh, diagnoses of schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder. And, and some of them were in very unstable uh, points in their life. And mm-hmm. and let me tell you, the, 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 the staff there, the, the waiters and the waitresses and Jay and Bobby, and, and even the actors on the stage were always so gracious, even when there was shouting out and sure. uh, people answering back and, and so on. They were so wonderful. And I, 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 I'm going to say that we probably took the guys, you know, I was, I was probably there for at least a dozen, maybe more over the years mm. going to Desi's and, 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 you know, Jay is just such a personable guy and I got to know him and uh, he had a Facebook page. So I followed it and he posted that he was doing auditions for, for a play by, I believe it was Rory Cooney called it runs in the family. Mm. And he said, uh, would you be, you know, if anybody's interested, please come out. So <laughs> I, as similar with nursing school, I, I turned to Michelle and I said, Hey, would you, would you mind? <laughs> <laughs> and uh-huh. similar to nursing school, uh, not knowing what she was saying, she said, yeah, go ahead. Maybe it would be nice. So I said, yeah, let me try out. Maybe I can get a little part and I could, you know, maybe ease back into theater again. And, you know, I had a failed theater career in college, and that's another story, but um, <laughs> but I thought I'd uh, give it a shot, and I went out, and I auditioned, and I got a call the next day, and Jay wanted me to play the lead role, and I said, my goodness gracious, well, uh, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, <laughs> well, wait a minute, you mean you didn't turn to Michelle and say... Michelle, what do you think? Should I do this? And she said, "Well, suddenly things changed with theater. I stopped asking her. Um, <laughs> the the eye rolling was just too much to take." I see. I see. But what was really uh, special? She has to draw the line somewhere, David. Somewhere <laughs> she's got to draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> but what was particularly special about that show was that my son Jacob was also cast in that mm-hmm. show. So. Mm-hmm. It was a joy not only to be on the stage again, uh, but to 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 work with my son Jacob as well, who played my son in the show. And you know, interestingly enough, Jay has actually uh, you know he's got a play ready to go for when we return from mm-hmm. from COVID uh, isolation, and it's a it's a lovely play that he's done in the past. John Pascalia played uh, a role in that play, and and others. Uh, but uh, the name of the play is God's Favorite. And it's by uh, Neil Simon. I know it and, very well. Uh, he's got myself and uh, Jimmy Janowski playing in that uh, that play. Oh, he'll be terrific in that. Yeah, I can well. just see the two of you. Well, never mind. We're off on it. <laughs> well, now let me ask you this, David. Who was your next, who was the next theater in Buffalo to hire you? Because you, you did a series of, I shouldn't say a series, but you did a number of shows for Jay. Yeah. And then who was the next uh, other Buffalo Theater to hire you? One night, a gentleman by the name of Saul Elkin came. Hmm. He was there for dinner, San's spouse. He was there by himself. And I remembered him from my days in college, so I thought sure. I would go out and introduce myself. And I told him a story. I said, Saul, I, you don't remember me at all. <laughs> I, I was one of thousands, of course, thousands sure. of thousands. I said, but I'm going to tell you a story. I, I auditioned for your production of West Side Story, and my girlfriend accompanied me, and 
you insisted that she should come in. She shouldn't have to wait outside. She can come in and watch the dance audition. And I remember that the two of you struck such a a lovely relationship while you sat there and watched the choreographer prepare us all for the dance. And I also recall that you and she sat there laughing at me continuously (laughs) for the entire audition. And and it was ridiculous as the audition was, I deserved the laughter. But I thought maybe this would give me some leverage. I said, yeah, you probably don't remember that, but I never auditioned for play after that until (laughs) 27 (laughs) years later. And uh, and that was when he asked me if I would be interested in playing the King of France in Henry V. Yeah, uh, yeah. and that's where. Yeah. And and those who have worked with Saul in the past know that when you're in Saul's presence, you're there, and he looks at you, and he sees you, and he thinks to himself, "Where could I put this guy again?" And uh, mm-hmm. I remember sitting uh, near him in rehearsal for Henry V, and he turned to me and he said, do you like the odd couple? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and he said, would you like to play Murray the Cop? And I said, I'd love to play Murray the Cop. And, that's, <laughs> and you know, Although I never did play that. Unfortunately, my, at that time, I had a grandchild who jumped on my neck while we were wrestling, and I had to have surgery. Oh. And I always like to tell the story. I said, I left the surgeon's office by myself after being told I was going to have to have emergency neck surgery. And I didn't call my wife, and I didn't call my children. I didn't call my job. I called Saul Elkin <laughs> to tell him that I couldn't be in the odd couple. <laughs> was that a JRT? Or? That was a JRT. Yeah, uh, Tim yeah. uh, Newell and yeah. uh, Tom Laughlin. I never knew that story. So yes. then you go from JRT to what? I was working at, uh, I can't even remember which one it was. I was working for Shakespeare in Delaware Park, and... Uh, I was working two plays one summer, and that's a whole other story. But that's a, um, that's a lot. Oh man, yeah, is that a we're lot. not going to go there. But I remember uh, one evening; it was probably about ten forty-five. The play was over, and a, a gentleman by the name of Scott Barrand, uh, who you and I both know, who uh, Scott Barrand, you may have heard of him. He uh, he actually uh, he called me one night at ten forty-five, and. Uh, <laughs> And I had never worked for Road Less Travel Theater before, where he is, as we all know, the artistic director. And he said, listen, he said, uh, would you be interested in, in playing a role in Glengarry Glenn Ross? And I said, I, I think I would. And, uh, and I had already auditioned and been cast. <laughs> I was already cast in The Nether, uh, directed by Katie Mallinson for January of that year. But he asked if I was available for this play and I believe it was October and I said I would I would do it and so I, I was suddenly thrust into Road Less Traveled two plays in a row and uh, and I've been there as as a member of the ensemble I was asked to be a member of the ensemble and I'm very proud of that and uh, I've done you know a number of plays there and I, I simply love uh, working there I, I think they do so many really avant-garde and, and wonderful plays that really make you think. And I, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that. And Scott really is uh, quite, uh, has quite an eye for talent and casting. And uh, I, I'm sure that he saw you once and said, uh, this guy, you know, he, a lot of people have, well, you know, like, uh, well, I don't want to mention a bunch of, bunch of names there, but a lot of people are now a member of the ensemble and, and people who maybe were relatively unknown and uh, he immediately locked them up. Not locked them up, because you're not locked in at all, but he immediately made them part of the, of the family. And, uh, well, you know, 
I, I was I was really honored that he asked me, and I, and I'm going to tell you why that was an honor because Peter, I'm I'm not a uh, I, I did not study uh, acting as so many of the wonderful actors in our community. Neither did I, David. I feel the same yeah. way. Go ahead. And, and I, I I look at uh, some of the talented actors that I've worked with over the years who did study so very hard to learn their craft, and I think in particular of two that have truly affected me, and that are those two are, are Patrick Moltane and uh, uh, Matt Witten, and the two gentlemen that that really have inspired me to to try to continue to to look beyond the limited capacity that I have. I, I don't have that bag of tricks to pull from that so many of these folks that studied under such wonderful teachers for so many years mm -hmm. have. And so I read books and I watch videos and I try to learn uh, different ways of, of, of skinning a cat, uh, so to speak. And um, over the years, I've developed a, a certain system that I follow, and um, I don't know that it's any good or that it's uh, of any value to anybody, but I know that it, it works for me, and uh, people come to see me, and they seem to think that I'm doing all right, so I keep getting jobs, and I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. So, uh, but, but that being said, I, I just want to say how much I do honor those who, who really did put that effort and work in and in, in, in study and, and just let them know how honored I am to work among them. I have always felt that way. I was a sponge. I soaked up whatever those who did go to school would teach me. Everything from, you know, asking Brian Cavanaugh why why the light was facing that direction and everything from that to studying every actor and every director around me. And I have always had that same feeling, also feeling like I, I really have put one over on people because <laughs> these guys, have, like Matt Witten is, is a perfect example, these guys who studied it and, and, you know, have such skill, and I've always just felt like a pretender to the throne, you know, and so... I I, I, know that, I know that I understand exactly exactly what you're saying. I, I remember sitting uh, in Glengarry Glen Ross in the uh, in the restaurant scene where Patrick and I, Patrick Moltane and I, mm -hmm. had that that back and forth scene that in, in, in Glengarry Glen Ross where he's asking me to participate in a crime, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and steal the leads, uh, the real estate leads, yeah. and. I worked with Patrick on that scene and we, we worked together privately for, for sure. hours and hours and hours to try to put that scene in a place where it was believable and, and, and something. And I just, I just remember being in awe of, of the range that this gentleman had and thinking to myself, what can I possibly contribute to this scene? And, and yet he was so encouraging and, and, and really, didn't uh, didn't look at me as uh, you know some guy who just happened in off the street as as really ostensibly I was and mm -hmm. uh, and he was very gracious and I am indebted to him and as you know my my first uh, play that I did for Shakespeare in Delaware Park which is my other love I've done many plays many more for Shakespeare I think than any other um, but uh, my first play was Henry V and and Patrick Moltane was Henry and yes he was I remember that I remember that very well. Great memories. Did I hear you say that you're you prefer drama over comedy, or or you prefer straight plays over musicals? 
I, I certainly prefer straight plays over musicals. I, I did do, uh, the, the last musical I did was My Fair Lady at Lancaster Opera House. I was kind of cast late. They, it seems to happen a lot with me. Um, they, uh, the gentleman who was playing uh, Colonel Pickering had, had backed out at, early in the process and got a call from David Bondro and said, would you be willing to do it? And I, I did do it. Uh, but, you know, the, the casts for, for musical theater are, are so energetic, Peter. I, oh, my God. I have so much respect for them. And I've been in several musicals in the past yes. couple of years. And I just look at those kids because they're all kids to me, Dave. And as a father of nine children, and I don't think I said <laughs> the whole thing, but as a father of nine children, I have had children singing and dancing and kicking their feet up and, and making noises and, and doing all manner of playing instruments at any given time. There's never been silence in my life. And, and I would go into the, the, the uh, but in the dressing room with 25 other cast members from My Fair Lady, and the noise was, was deafening. And there's plies being done, and there's singing being done. And, and it's just, it, was, it was simply deafening. So I found a little tiny corner uh, all the way over on the far side with my dear, uh, dear friend of, of loving memory, Scott Kajnowski, and the two of us, sat there and talked about these loud kids through that entire process and we just laughed continuously and they the energy the two cantankerous old men at the end of the <laughs> rehearsal hall we just uh, but we enjoyed it i mean the energy is wonderful but it's but it is somewhat exhausting <laughs> you know, like the, the the two guys the two muppets uh oh yeah yeah i know exactly. you know they get to sit up and say oh what are they talking about down there <laughs> you know well, anyway, uh, so listen. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a couple more questions because then I really uh, I got to let you go. And and none of us really has anything set up for after COVID in terms of future gigs. I know you said Jay's got something he's ready to ready to go with God's favorite. That'll be great. But nobody knows when anything's going to open. And I right. and right. I keep I don't know. I keep hoping somebody's going to make the first step because whoever it is who takes that first step is going to be scrutinized. How did they do it? Did they do it right? Did it work? Were there any consequences? How did they handle the bathrooms? How did they handle the lines? You know, it's, there's going to be a million, a million questions. Did you lose something, by the way? Did you lose a show or two? Yeah, I did. Um, we, we were closed on opening night of uh, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Right, uh, but I hear, that's, I hear that's coming back. That's what it I is. hear. You yeah. know, we, we've, we've, I received an email not long ago saying that rehearsals are tentatively scheduled for August of this year. Uh, Wonderful. Uh, and I was uh, also uh, scheduled to appear in a, a play called Tribes. It was going to be directed by uh, Doug Zigner uh, for Road Less Traveled. And uh, I'm told that that is tentatively scheduled for January of 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm excited about that because I, I was really excited to work with Doug again and I couldn't wait to do that. And it's actually going to be the first non-American play that Road Less Traveled has ever done. Oh, it's a British play. And uh, and so I was excited about that. I do have this, you know, once we, we get going, hopefully, um, you know, if it doesn't correspond with the other plays, we I certainly can do this play for Jay. And, mm -hmm. and I've done all these little, you know, and as you have as well, I mean, we've done these little things all through COVID. I was in different shows and screen time things and Zoom stuff and, you know, and so on. So I kept myself busy. Um, doing readings and and being a part of things like that, so it's been fun. But you also had to maintain a full time job all through COVID 
because your that. job was it was it was even more than full time and I, I you know i was working and i still am working certainly more than 40 hours a week and uh, but early on in the uh, in the pandemic i also did work with uh, covid patients at st joe's and um you know and then i was also uh, working very closely with the clients here for best self behavioral health trying to keep them as safe as possible and doing some home visits so that they wouldn't have to actually go out into the community and take public transportation at a time when there was just so much unknown. Uh, so, you know, through this entire pandemic, I'm, I'm not going to complain about all the hours that I worked because I know there are so many that didn't have jobs during this time. And, right. and I paid my bills and my mortgage through this entire process. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So I'm, I will never complain about the work that I had to do during that time when so many had been struggling as to when they were going to pay the rent or, or even put food on the table. Right. Well, you know, before I ask you your final question, I should give you the opportunity. We really didn't talk about the family and all the kids and the grandkids. Yeah. You want to throw in a little uh, little commentary about how things are with the well, uh, <laughs> life is good, Peter. I, you know, I, and uh, the, the Marciniak, I'm very proud of my children. They many of them are in uh, either food service or some service industry that allowed for vaccinations. So a lot of the kids already have vaccinations. So great. Right. Uh, a summer of barbecues at the Marciniak Mansion. And uh, yeah, we're excited about that. So, um, but I have, as I mentioned, I have nine children, five uh, daughters and four sons. All of them are gone except for for two. I have a senior in high school at home, uh, Amelia, and I have a lovely uh, sophomore in high school, Teresa, who is at home with us. And, and I have Joe, who is at Fredonia. Uh, all the rest are grown and gone and living on their own. And I have six grandchildren, six beautiful, lovely, wonderful grandchildren, one of whom my grandson, Eli, was born uh, during the COVID pandemic. So we didn't get to see him much. And now we're rekindling that. So we're so excited to be a part of his uh, new and beautiful life. So that's wonderful. Life man. is good. It's loud and it's it's obnoxious and, you know. But uh, it's good. Yeah, you have a magnificent family, my friend. I, 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 I sometimes envy the noise uh, because I've spent 12 months pretty much by myself. I was finally able to get down and see my daughter and granddaughters. So I, I often envy those who have their family close by and, and living, living with them, even in, a, even in a house full of nine. Good for you, my friend. Well, thank you. So my final question is, I'll ask you the off-road question, and I'm not even sure if there can be an answer to this, but I'll bet there is somewhere deep down in your soul. Dave, what road might you have taken that you did not take? If you were to take, if you were to go off the road that you took into nursing, what road might you have taken instead? I'm going to even go beyond nursing. I'm going to go back all the way to high school. And I'm going to say that there was a road that I didn't take that I was quite convinced that I was going to. And I, I certainly wouldn't have been interviewed by you in any capacity now in that uh, role. But I have a suspicion that my name might have been Reverend Monsignor David Marciniak. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I look at that and I think to myself, it's not a, a life that I, I would have disliked. I, I think it would have been a a different, very different life, but it's certainly one that I might have taken. The avenue and the path that I've taken since then, I would not trade it in for anything. I, I look at each one of those 
beautiful children that my wife and I were so blessed to have. And uh, I can't imagine a life without them. And I certainly cannot imagine a life without the love of my life, Michelle Bernie Marciniak. That's right. And, uh, but and I, then, I will tell you, you, you would have made a magnificent priest. You would have made a terrific priest because I know you, because of the kind of person you are, because of your need to help people, because of your need to want to work with people, because of your performance skills. You could be, all of those things would have come in so handy, you would have made a great priest. But I don't doubt for one second that you are a happy man where you ended up, my friend. Thank you so much, Peter. David, I'm going to let you go. I, I totally enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and I thank you for, for talking to me. And, and you know, I don't, I, 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 you know, obviously you're not going to put any of this in, but, no. um, you know, I don't know in that in my short career as an actor here in Buffalo that I have a whole lot of <laughs> inspirational things to say about my career as an actor because it's very short and it's, you know, it is what it is. So I don't know if the acting community is certainly going to find any of this other stuff interesting. And I certainly understand, uh, you know, anything that you kind of cut out of there. And, and I believe me, and I, I, we just talked for so long and that podcast doesn't last this, last this long. I know that, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, this, it was uh, a joy to talk about my career and it was a joy to talk about my family. I thank you for bringing them up at the end. I, well, you know, I had, I had a whole plan. I mean, I literally had a bunch of questions, but yeah. once we started talking, it was just, bing bang boom and i got all the way to the end and i said oh we never really talked about the kids or 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 anything <laughs> give my love to michelle i hope i see I you guys in person soon of course i hope i see anybody in person soon. I know, I know. <laughs> and uh all my best to everybody and uh i thank you again my friend my pleasure you have a good night bye bye dave bye -bye. take care Well, yes, of course, you have to make sure the mower's going to start. It's a Toro. It'll start. Oh, never mind. So I hope you enjoyed that with Dave Marciniak. He's a great guy. Really enjoy talking to him. Uh, when I see him anywhere, it's always it always brings a smile to my face. Oh, here we go now. Another tease. It's continuing. Can't let it up. This is the new sort of internal theme music. And now we've had, added a few little tinkling bells there. It, it, I think we need more of a rock. We need more of a rock theme going through it. So that, that might happen next time. But uh, as I told you, this is for a project that's coming up in the summer. And I hope I can finish it. And I hope when I do, you will enjoy it. So that's it for another episode of RLTP's Off-Road. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another really interesting interview with a man you may not know, but who has a business that I believe is soon to be thriving in Buffalo. And when you hear about it, you may say, you know what, I think I should be involved in that business. Well, we'll see. So I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and I hope you will be there too. Joining me here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano.